Hey, greetings everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West here and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Show. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. You know, I took a little time off to have a little family vacation, headed down to Port Aransas, Texas. Lovely place. It's going to grow. It's going to develop on that island, Mustang Island, especially down toward the southern end. And it was just so much fun to watch my little Jackson Bernard, my grandson, take his first steps on the beach put his feet into the Gulf of Mexico to hear him turn around and look at me and point and say, ocean. I mean, it's one of those moments that you capture and it kind of brings tears to your eyes because that's really what my life is all about. How do I make sure that subsequent generations have better than what I had? Because at the age of two, I never got the chance to put my feet into the ocean. But I made sure that my daughters had that chance and, of course, now my grandson. And my future grandson, who will be coming along in December as well, yes, our oldest daughter, Aubrey, will be delivering another grandson to the West family. Spoiler alert, his name is Levi Allen. And I can't wait until the moment I take Levi Allen on his family vacation and watch him walk out into the surf as well. But even though I was on family vacation, I still, you know, had to keep my ear to what was going on in my country. Because you always have to be ready to stand up and be, you know, on that pointy edge of the spear in case you get asked to be aware of what's going on. So there were a couple of things that happened while I was on family vacation. One of them happened as we were driving down from Garland, Texas, to Port Aransas. All of a sudden, you know, little Mr. Hunter Biden shows up at the court in Delaware. And this was supposed to be, you know, slap happy. Eh, it's all done. Nice little, you know, misdemeanor, not even a slap on the fist. Oops. <laughs> Something went really wrong. Now, I'm trying to understand this. He's going to go in and he's going to plead guilty. He's going to say that, yeah, I, I did this stuff. I, I didn't pay my taxes. I lied on a 4473 background check form. But because of the fact that, you know, it's going to be not even a real sentence. It's just a, you know, a little misdemeanor slap on the hand when Wes would be doing the perp walk. Those things combined, I mean, I'm figuring at least 10 years. It'd be all over the papers. They'd be talking about it on ABC, CBS, MSNBC, NBC, CNN, PBS, NPR. But Hunter Biden, no one's talking about it. But the thing is this, you're going to plead guilty going in there. You think it's going to take maybe about, what, three to five minutes? 
then all of a sudden when things unravel because we had someone, a judge, that was doing their job and understanding and interpreting the law and exposing something that didn't seem right, now all of a sudden you're going to enter a plea of not guilty? This is a head-scratcher. So as long as the sentence was this misdemeanor and, and you know, you get away with it, you're guilty of it. I mean, you say, I did it. But now all of a sudden when it comes to be that you don't have immunity from future charges, that there is a little bit more that could be out there, now all of a sudden you're going to tell us that you're not guilty? So this, this, I don't know, moral relativism, I'm guilty if I don't have any consequences or any ramifications. I'm not guilty if there are consequences and ramifications. Which one is it, Hunter? Because, see, everyday Americans out there know that they don't pay their taxes, well, unless you're Al Sharpton. So Hunter Biden and Al Sharpton are in the same boat. They don't have to pay taxes. Nothing happens. As a matter of fact, you know, Al Sharpton got to visit the White House with Barry Sotero, I think it was like 75, 81 times, something like that. Now, here you got Hunter. He gets away with whatever. And to hear the the, the binder, you know, Kareem Jean-Pierre, the White House mouthpiece, say that, well, he, he's, a, he's, he's a private citizen. This is, this is not something we want to discuss publicly. Then don't have him up in the White House, Ms. Jean-Pierre. He is a public figure. He's someone that's getting invited to all the little swarways up, swarways up there in the White House. So, yeah, he's flying on Air Force One to go over to Ireland and have a little shindig. Air Force One is paid for by the United States taxpayers. So, yeah, we want to know. We want to hear from you. We want to know what the big guy thinks about this. That's why you got to ask the question. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens now. I, I think they got like a month to come back to this judge. Oops. Can you imagine now the quote unquote DOJ prosecutors who were basically sleeping in the same bed and, and you know, you know, you lay down with dogs, you go get fleas. And that's exactly what happened to these DOJ prosecutors. Now they got to try to figure out where do we go from here? If the guy has said that he's not guilty to something he was going to plead guilty to, uh, he's guilty. And there should be none of this stuff about, well, we're going to get rid of any future investigations. There'll be no future charges. No. You're st still going to be guilty and held accountable for that. There has to be consequences and ramifications. The American people are sick and tired of this two-tier justice system. Now, I don't care what the alphabet soup mainstream leftist media says. We're not tolerating this anymore. I don't care whose son you are. And don't give me this stuff about, you know, Joe Biden's a compassionate dad. And he's concerned about what his son is doing. He may have profited and benefited from what his son was doing. And so we got to get to the bottom of this. But again, as I was driving down to Port Aransas, I'm thinking, how does a guy, you know, is going to walk in and he's going to plead guilty to something, but then all of a sudden when he finds out his deal blows up in his face, he's not guilty. I don't know. 
but we got to get to the bottom of this. And this is not political. And Republicans got to understand, stop being afraid of the left and just do what's right. Where there is corruption, it has to be eradicated. It has to be eliminated. I don't care how high, high up, how high up it goes. Try saying that three times. How high up it goes. We're not supposed to tolerate that here in this constitutional republic. We're not the old Soviet Union yet. I know that there's a lot of leftists that want us to be that way, and they want to create this little Politburo thing where the elitists are there at the top and they can do whatever they want, and all of us serfs down here just work to serve them. That ain't happening on my watch. So pay attention to what's going to be coming out in a month when little Mr. Hunter has to go back into that court in Delaware. But the real thing I want to talk about what happened while I was away. I mean, how many times does Kamala Harris need to stick her foot in her mouth before she does not like the taste of her own toes? Because once again, all of a sudden, I guess she wanted to blow up this thing about one little sentence, one little sentence in the African-American, black American, black his whatever curriculum standards there in the state of Florida. One little sentence. And I read that sentence over and over and over. The good thing is that I'm a black man that could read that sentence. There are a lot of young black boys and girls who can't read. Yet we're wasting our time on this one little sentence instead of worrying about the fact that even, I think, LeBron James, your school that you sponsor, I mean, you, the kids there are not reading at grade level. So this whole thing about now all of a sudden Ron DeSantis supports slavery and everyone saying that there were benefits to slavery, I read that sentence over and over and over and over again. It ain't about benefits to slavery. Slavery sucked. But what sucks even more is that the people who stood up for the institution of slavery are now trying to act like they have this righteous indignation over something that they fought to preserve, Democrats, something that they did not support being abolished, Democrats, something that they continue to perpetuate, the Black Codes, Jim Crow, segregation, poll taxes, literacy tests, Ku Klux Klan. Now all of a sudden they're going to act like they're upset over one little sentence and they're going to send out sister girl Kamala Harris who really has no black experience whatsoever. I, I mean, I'm saying this as a kid born and raised in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, in the old Fourth Ward neighborhood, who was born in a blacks-only hospital. I don't think Kamala Harris has ever cooked a pot of Hoppin' John's. She's never dipped some cornbread in some pot liquor. Maybe she never even drank a, a glass of buttermilk. Now, you're saying, oh, Colonel, why you want to bring all this stuff up? Yeah, because that's part of a black experience, okay? But now, all of a sudden, she's walking around acting like she's the, you know, the, the keeper of the grail of the black experience. I've never seen her come out and say anything about over the past 50 years, over 20 million black babies being murdered in the womb by dismemberment, but now all of a sudden she's sister girl number one. As a matter of fact, she continues to uh, you know, support 
and advance the murdering of unborn babies in the womb that has had an adverse effect on the black community. Oh, by the way, that thing called Planned Parenthood that supports her and that she supports, it was founded by a white supremacist and a racist by the name of Margaret Sanger who spoke at Klan rallies, referred to blacks as undesirables and human weeds. But she's all of a sudden upset about a sentence in the Florida curriculum for black history. See, this is how the old colonel would have done this and dealt with this in the aftermath of Kamala coming out and speaking out about it. See, the bottom line is that the Republicans, Republican Party, a party that was established in 1854 on one single issue, that was to abolish slavery. And of course, when the first Republican president was elected, those Democrats, those folks down south, they went ballistic. They decided they were going to secede. But the Republican Party and the 13th and 14th, 15th Amendments, all the things that they did, they took the tragedy of slavery and turned it into a triumph for people who, that had recently become freed. When you look at my ideological mentor, Booker T. Washington, and the things that he wanted to do. When you think about all of those Republicans and white philanthropists that were starting institutions of education like Hampton Institute and Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute, what were they trying to do? They were trying to turn tragedy into triumph. That's all that was happening. They were trying to show that in this brutal system that you have survived, in this brutal system that we went to war for, hundreds of thousands of Americans lost their lives for, uh, wounded. Now somehow we can turn this around into something good for you by giving you an education, by enabling you to see that the things that you had to do and to toil under, somehow we can turn that into an ability for you to do, as Booker T. Washington said, education, entrepreneurship, and self-reliance. See, once upon a time, you had to work hard in these things. But now we can get you to understand how powerful you have because you know how to do things, as Booker T. Washington called it, the ability to be able to do things with your hands, to labor, to show that you are valued because of what you know and what you can do. That's what he talked about. That's why you had the Negro Business League that was established under his watch. And the next thing you know, people that were formerly slaves are out buying buildings in places like Harlem. That's why he talked about industrial education at Tuskegee Institute, so that it wasn't about just going and getting a bunch of book learning. It was about getting learning that enabled you to be successful in the economic society in which you live, even if it was in the South. That's why they learn how to make bricks. That's how they learn how to build buildings. That's why seamstressing, all of these different type of things that they were forced to do by Democrats, that they were forced to do under this institution, brutal institution of slavery. Now we can take these things and we can provide you with an education. We can make you better off so that you can have the education, the entrepreneurship, and the self-reliance. But yet, what do we have? We have a bunch of chuckleheads out there running their mouths 
while the whole time we're forcing blacks into a new type of enslavement, which is economic enslavement. Hey, let me read you a quote from Booker T. Washington, which really does describe Kamala Harris and the rest of these you know, cackling hens out there that we have. There is another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. Having learned that they are able to make a living out of their troubles, they have grown into the settled habit of advertising their wrongs, partly because they want sympathy and partly because it pays. Some of these people do not want the Negro to lose his grievances. He or her. Not made up pronouns, male, female. Because they don't want to lose their jobs. I am afraid that there is a certain class of race problem solvers who don't want the patient to get well because as long as the disease holds out, they have not only an easy means to make a living, but also an easy medium through which they can make themselves prominent before the public. That's you, Kamala Harris. I have not seen you go to any inner city. And talk about the shootings that happened there. A couple of weeks ago, they had 37 in Chicago. I've not seen you, Kamala Harris, go in there and talk about the fact that, and it's not too far away. I mean, you know, you can almost take a metro. But you can definitely take the, the, the Mark train, I think it is, up to Baltimore. You can, you know, you, you can fly a helicopter, have a, you know, convoy of SUVs. You can go right up to Baltimore. Why have you never gone up there and talked about the fact that you have black boys and girls not reading and doing math at grade level? Oh, that's right. Doggone it, Wes. You forgot. The Democrats say that math is racist. You agree with that, Cammy? But you're not speaking out about that. You're not, not speaking out about how the black family has been decimated because of the policies of your party, Lyndon Johnson, Great Society, War on Poverty. What, 24, 25% of black kids have a mother and father in their home? When have you ever talked about fatherlessness in the black community? But no, you got to go down to Florida and you got to start reading out the teleprompter acting like you're upset over one little sentence. That one little sentence has nothing to do with us happening in the black community. What's happening in the black community is exactly what you are. You don't want black people to lose their grievances because you don't want to lose your job. You want to keep people riled up about something that is of no consequence. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm just going to be honest. I, I'm, I'm not going to get up in arms about it because I see what is going on in the black community. Could it have been phrased a little differently? Yeah. But there's truth to it. That, unfortunately, thanks to the Democrats, the brutal institution of slavery did enable some blacks to develop blacksmithing and other things. But. It was Republican vision and philanthropy that first freed them, that made them citizens, that gave them the opportunity to vote and, and to hold political offices. The very first members of the Congressional Black Caucus were all Republicans, seven 
gentlemen. The very first black Republican member of Congress was Josiah T. Walls, 1873 to 1876. He was a slave. Hey, Kamala, did you know that? I was the second. Byron Donalds, you're the third. And so instead of jumping on this leftist bandwagon and supporting them and their propaganda, you know, let's let's hit them. Let's go on the offense and say that how ironic it is that they're up there screaming and yelling about an institution that they established, promoted, and continue to advocate for. They continue to want to keep people in a slave mentality in the black community. This whole thing about reparations. What about an education? Our inner cities are crumbling. But yet, Kamala Harris is going to run down there to Florida, read a teleprompter, and stick her foot in her mouth and make herself out to be a fool. Which for her happens weekly, if not daily. And, uh, you know, look, I'm not criticizing her I'm, I'm you know I don't have a law degree maybe it's good that I don't but I don't I don't get this unrighteous indignation when you look at all the other things that are falling apart in the black community that are really the result of the policies and the programs and the ideological agenda of the party of the jackass, the Democrat Party. I mean, help me out. I mean, you know, someone send send a, a an email or a text message, something, you know, a Facebook post, a X post. I guess it's not Twitter anymore. But tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where the, the Democrat Party has advanced the cause of the black community in the United States of America. I mean, NAACP was not even founded by black people. It was four white intellectual elite progressive socialists who handed it over to a black intellectual elite progressive socialist who ended up chowing down and, you know, drinking wine with Mao Zedong, renounced his American citizenship, became an avowed communist. That's why W.B. Du Bois. That dude ain't my hero. He ain't my mentor. But the man who was a slave, who once he became free, wanted an education. That man's my mentor. That man's my hero. The man who said, nor should we permit our grievances to overshadow our opportunities. That's Booker T. Washington. And there's a reason why the left does not want to talk to him about him. There's a reason why black intellectual elites always want to call him the Uncle Tom to sell out all these things. Instead of reading his speech that he gave in Atlanta, my birth town, they would rather say that it was a, the Atlanta Compromise speech. Yeah. Yeah, I see. But he was invited to the White House. He was the guy that had a president come and visit Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute. He was the man that went out and recruited George Washington Carver 
He's the reason why we had the triple, I mean, the uh, 332nd fighter squadron, Tuskegee Airmen. My godfather, William Sticky Jackson, was a Tuskegee Airman. But see, we're not talking about that as far as history. We got a bunch of loudmouth chuckleheads that are talking about one little sentence. So, where does the colonel stand on this? The colonel says that everyone out there ranting and raving about it, y'all are just stupid. Almost stuck on stupid. When you see all of the other things that are facing the black community today, and you're getting upset over a sentence. I wish we were out there developing more black entrepreneurs, making sure that blacks were more self-reliant, economically independent, not economically dependent. But there's another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. Having learned that they are able to make a living out of their troubles, they have grown into the settled habit of advertising their wrongs, partly because they want sympathy, and partly because it pays. Some of these people do not want the Negro to lose their grievances because they do not want to lose their jobs. Race hustling, this grievance industry, pays good, don't it, Kamala? But that's not how we honor the history and the experience of being black in the United States of America. We should be talking about how we have strong families that can come together and have a family vacation and take their children and their grandchildren to the Gulf of Mexico and let them put their feet in the ocean for the first time instead of worrying about a sentence that many black kids cannot even read. Steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down.